Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. I just have to say, if I happened to live in anywhere in the or near the Irving area, I would be at that guy's church for sure. That was fantastic. Thank you for bringing that good word tonight to us. Pastor of our One Cause Irving campus. Amen. And I also want to uh, welcome some dear friends of Carl Van Wy, some esteemed guests that we have here. Guy and Britt are with us, and they have two of their four kids as well. They're all here now. Judah and Honor is who I met. What are the other two names? Braden and Addie. All right, well, we are glad to have you guys with us tonight. God bless you. Let's make them feel welcome here tonight. And pray for them because Carl is their friend. So. <laughs> He's a Vikings fan. Well, where's Matt? Oh, Matt's running the computer. Well, Matt will want to meet you. He's a Viking. He's our lone Viking fan here. So you guys can find each other and hug or something. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. God is so good, and I am happy to be here tonight to bring this word to you. We are in 1 Peter, and we are in continue our series, our walk through the books of the Bible that we've called Route 66. And I, as I said, I think this is our, we've been in it for about 17 years now or Something like that. Uh, but we're nearing the end. But um, I came across this today and I thought maybe it would uh, bless you. This uh, rabbi is walking slowly down the street and a gust of wind comes along and blows his hat off his head. He's an old man so he can't catch up with the hat and a young man sees his struggle so he runs over and grabs the hat and brings it back to the aging rabbi and the rabbi thanked him he says, I don't think I could have caught that thing, and I'm not fast as I used to be, so thank you. And then he put his hand on the young man and said, may God bless you. And upon hearing that, the young man got very excited. I got a blessing from the rabbi. He goes to the horse track. <laughs> and he sees that there's a horse by the name of Stetson. The odds are 20 to 1. He bets on Stetson and wins. The next race comes up. And he sees another horse by the name of Fedora. 30 to 1 odds. He bets on Fedora. And sure enough, Fedora takes first. Man, this guy's excited. Man, the blessing of the rabbi is all over him. And so at the end of the, the whole day, he finally makes it home. His wife says, honey, where in the world have you been? He tells her the story about getting the happen to the rabbi, the, ra the rabbi blessing him and him going to the racetrack. And his wife says, well, where's the money? He says, well... I lost it all, bet it all on the last horse in the ninth race, bet on a horse named Chateau. She said, Chateau? Chateau's a house. Chapeau is a hat. <laughs> he says, oh, it doesn't matter. Some Japanese horse named Yamaka won. <laughs> all right. 1 Peter is the first of two letters that the Apostle Peter himself wrote, and he is addressing the Jews who were scattered because of the dispersion. They're scattered throughout mainly Asia, 
And so he's coming to bring a word of encouragement to them during these very trying times. Um, this first letter is written somewhere between 60 and 66 A.D., as they can best guesstimate, um, before the fall of Jerusalem in uh, A.D. 70. The theme of this book, these, these five chapters of, of 1 Peter, are um, the theme would be suffering, the suffering for Christ, the believer's response to it, and the promise that follows it and the encouragement to endure. Uh, and though the, the target audience is Jewish believers, you know, we all know that Paul made it very clear in Galatians chapter 2 that James, Peter, and John were sent to the circumcised or the Jews, and Paul and Barnabas were sent to the Gentiles. All right? So uh, that's why we see Peter, James, and John toward the end that their books are addressing. Now, John is a little more broad because he ended up in Ephesus, and so his, his audience is more than just Jews. Um, it's really for all of us. But the emphasis of his ministry was to Jews. And then James, of course, when he opens his book, says to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So they have very uh, specific audience they're ministering to. But though this is true, and though Peter mainly is ministering to Jewish believers, there are truths that we can glean that are relevant to all of us as believers. I just want to bring some verses out that you know, some good verses from First uh, Peter that are very encouraging and, and, and things that you've heard and, and are, have become familiar with if you've been in church any amount of time. And uh, the first one is found in chapter 1, verse 23, and it says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Now we have the dominant nature, hallelujah, the nature of Christ, incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Aren't you glad to know that? That death can't even touch this seed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You just keep on living because huh? it's an incorruptible seed. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You jump down to verse 24 of that same chapter. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Tonight, if you're sick in your body in any way, I want you to grab a hold of that promise. By his stripes you were healed. Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. Peter says, by his stripes we were healed. Dr. Fred Price years ago said, so then if you were healed, then you are healed. And if you am healed, then you is healed. <laughs> 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready with an answer. Always be ready with an answer. A ready, ready evangelist. Amen. Because now, now you have this compelling happening through you. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the ministry or the word of reconciliation. And it is as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is our message to bring. Always being ready, ready to give the answer 
for those who ask. And they will ask. Hmm? They will ask because your light's on all the time, Christian. I've said this to you before. I'm going to continue to say your, your faith in Christ and your relationship with God is not a matter of privacy. You don't have the right to privacy. You're on display now. You are here to demonstrate. You're a light in the earth. You're salt. You affect whatever environment you come into. Amen. And when, with you comes life. With you comes grace. With you comes love. With you comes every good thing from God. All right? And this is what the world needs. They, we owe it. Listen to me. To, uh, the great T.L. Osborne said, we, we owe it to the world not to only preach the gospel, but to demonstrate this gospel. Amen. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one, verse 18, is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Let me just help bring some clarity to this, because good Lord, this thing has been blown way out of proportion. Judgment begins in the house of God. God starting with you first. And that's not at all what this, this chapter is saying, what this verse is saying. At all. But, you know, if you're legalistic, that's how you're going to see it. If you're bound to sin-conscious thinking, then that's how you're going to see it. But I'm here to encourage you some, with some really good things tonight. Judgment begins. Let me ask you something. Did God judge Jesus? Hmm? He did. What did he judge him? He who he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So now the judgment has been passed. Jesus says, Whoever believes on me has passed from death to life, has passed from judgment. All right? So he's not. This, this is not happening. If God is judging the church, the house of God right now, then, then he's not doing Jesus right. Either Jesus took all of our punishment, all the judgment on himself, or he didn't. He, it was all. He had to bear all the sins of the world. All right, so what does this mean for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God? What this is saying is that we as the church need to make a call here. This is not judgment on the house. This is judgment from the house. All right? And this is what we need to judge. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, Peter is, is not saying that the righteous are scarcely saved. It's not what he's saying. It can't be what he's saying. He's saying, but if this is what you judge, that we're getting in by the skin of our teeth, what about the others? There's no hope. So you need to make this judgment. What is the truth about this gospel? Just how saved are we? Just how free are we? Because if we don't settle this issue, my family, then the suffering that you endure as a Christian, 
you're going to buckle under the pressure of that suffering. If you have very little hope in this gospel, if you're trying to maintain your own righteousness by your good works, you will fail. You either have to fully embrace what Christ has done or you have to trust yourself. You can't do both. You don't have the, you don't get to mix the two. It's all Jesus. It's all him. Christ died. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again from the dead. There it is. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. Now, I've heard the gospel preached whew, a lot of other ways than Christ. You need to admit you're a sinner. You need to confess all your sins. You need, you need to do this. You need to do that. Where's the gospel in this? Christ died for your sins. We don't go out into the darkness and talk about the darkness. That's not what brings change. We bring light. That's what, how darkness is exposed. We shine the light of Christ. And we talk about a new and living way that he has provided. A better covenant established on better promises. We have assurance and therefore we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And he is the author, the author, the author of eternal salvation. When do you have everlasting life? When you get to heaven or when you believe on Jesus? When does it start? Huh? When does that happen? Right now. The moment you believe, everything is made brand new on the inside of you. You've, made, you've become a whole new creation in Christ Jesus. Look just like him. The seed produces after its own kind. And when God sowed his son, praise God, he reaped many sons. So if the seed produces after its kind, then you are just like Jesus in the spirit. Get this. You're just like him in the spirit. You're, you're not a stepchild. Hmm? You're not a havesy. You're all in on this sonship. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you need to catch what he did. You are just as much a son of God as Jesus himself. Because if you're not, then the seed didn't really produce after its own kind. I have a feeling if God's going to watch over any seed and make sure that it produces after its kind, he certainly watched over that seed. Hmm? Made you just like him. Just like him. This is the message that the world needs to hear. This is the message that saves lives. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Let's not be ashamed of it. Let's not think that we need to explain this thing to death rather than just declare it. Let the gospel be what it is and you just be faithful to tell them the gospel. Amen. I have been amazed at how God's word works through the years of pastoring and preaching for, for the years I have. And, and I, I've been amazed at how God touches people through the preaching of the, of the message. Because I've, I've had testimonies of people come up to me after service. Pastor, that really, really ministered to me today uh, just on the way to church. I remember one specific, just on the way to church, my wife and I were in a fight, and he said it was my fault because I've been short-fused with her. And he said, man, I'm telling you, when you talk today about 
treating your wife and your spouse well. And, and as he's talking to me, I'm going, I never said anything like that. I didn't say a word about how you treat your spouse. But that's what he heard. See, the Word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As long as you're preaching the Word, as long as you're preaching the Word, it will get the right message to the person. It didn't even have to be on the subject you're preaching because the Word is living. Preaching on faith, and he's hearing, hey, man, you need to treat your wife better. (laughs) All right, see, if, if we're just faithful to preach the Word and bring the gospel, the gospel will do what it does. Amen. Wow, that was a lot of explanation there. First Peter 5, you know this one, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's good news, isn't it? Now, a few more minutes. I want us to I want to get you something to take home with you to remember these things. This is the memento along our trip, and it's 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 4. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Did you see that? Love will cover a multitude of sins. In other words, there's something about love that I love. <laughs> it's not a heat-seeking missile looking for faults. It covers a multitude of sins. So write this down. Cherish without charge. Hmm? In other words, love them anyway. Just love. Just love them. That's what God does. He just loved us anyway. And he showed us that kind of cherishing without charge when we, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love in that way. Cherish without charge. I'm telling you, relationships go so much better when we stop pointing fingers at each other. Husbands and wives, listen to me. Cherish without charge. It's easy to find the faults when you're, they're glaring at you every day. Hmm? When those things that used to be cute are now nothing short of annoying. <laughs> so, all right, let's keep going. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. I like this one, serve without sniveling. I mean, there's just nothing more annoying to me as a pastor, and that nobody in this church does this. I'm just telling you, when I was part of other churches, I would, I would see this happen. Um, somebody would be serving, and man, you couldn't get them to get happy about what they were doing, no matter what you did. They cried and complained, but boy, they were there every, day, every time. I'm like, why are you really doing this? Do we really have to deal with you all the time? Can't you, since you're going to be here, can't you just be happy? Hmm? Got to come in here and try to make everybody feel sorry for you and pat you on the back. and Somebody's got to notice what you're doing. Hey, listen, if you're expecting the pastor to notice, you've picked the wrong church. <laughs> this guy is head in the clouds. I'm just happy to be here. 
All right, and it's nothing against you. I'm just, uh, I'm sorry. That's a fault of mine, I'm sure. I do appreciate what you do, but there's a very good chance I'm not always going to be able to acknowledge it. Who are you doing this for anyway? Huh? So serve without sniveling. The word sniveling, I like this. A lot of it has to do with, you know, mucus and that kind of stuff. But there's another, uh, but there is a, but there is a, a definition that I thought was interesting. A, hypocr- a hypocritical show of feeling. A hypocritical show of feeling. Hmm? Mm. faithfully serve someone, do something good for someone somewhere down the road. You ask them to do something, they don't do it. Really, after what I did for you? Hmm? Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, as each one, as each one has received a gift. What did you receive? A gift. Minister it. What are you ministering? A gift to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I love the word manifold here. It means multicolored. Various colors. Every time you see the rainbow, you see the grace of God. Multicolored. Beautiful. But you are a good steward. Now watch this. You're a good steward of what? The manifold grace. So minister without merit. Minister without merit. You're stewarding grace, managing grace as it has been given to you, so you minister it. Can you sense the ease of that flow? You don't have to strive in this. You don't have to do anything that God doesn't want you to do. What it's saying, as minister to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now watch this, verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. The word oracle literally means a short word, a short word, a brief word. Preachers, preachers like me should, should pay more attention to that. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. All right, that's what I'm saying. God's going to give you the ability that you need to do this service and to bless others. He's not expecting you to do anything else because he he wants you flowing in his strength, in his ability. So you always stay energized and and, and, and uh, um, uh, excited about the work that you're doing, inspired. Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. There we go. See, now God gets the glory in that way. You don't get any of the credit. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. No other book in the Bible focuses on suffering and glory as much as this this first epistle of Peter. This epistle was written to give Christians a fuller understanding of what's going on, the present sufferings, and the glories to come. All right, I want to look at a couple other places. A little further down in this chapter, verse 12 and 13, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange or don't be surprised concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. 
See, there's something amazing about what Jesus did. The, the Hebrews admonishes us to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, right? To look to him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before Now, you know there was nothing joyous about that cross. When you read about what happened to Jesus and all that suffering and all that agony, there is no joy in it whatsoever. But he was looking at something. The joy, there was joy set before him. And so he was willing to go through what he did for that joyful experience. And that joy, the scripture says, the joy of the Lord is our what? Our strength. You can bear up under any trial and under any kind of persecution with the joy of the Lord. It really is no match for it. When you have your eyes set on a joyful experience, what's this joyful experience? Our reunion with Him. When we get to see the one that we love that we haven't even seen yet. Peter talks about that. He says, though you haven't seen Him, yet you love Him. And we all look forward to his appearing. That's the joy that is set before us. So don't be surprised when, when persecution comes, when you suffer for Christ's sake. That's when you rejoice. I mean, if you're going to suffer for anything in this life, let it be for his cause. Hey, and as a Christian, you are going to suffer persecution. Jesus said, the world hated me. Don't be surprised that it hates you too. All right? Some things about suffering that Peter talks to us about, and <laughs> he calls it a blessing. And, and, and there's a few reasons why he says it this way. One is suffering is an opportunity to prove our faith. Paul even talks about that. Uh, he also says that the, the way we deal with persecution will bring our persecutors to glorify God. How we bear up under that suffering when they see that we rejoice and we continue to, to please God and to live for Him, it does something to them. That's, that's found in, in chapter 2. Also in chapter 2, it's, it, it teaches us that it's an opportunity to do what is right even when we are wronged. And when we do what is right, no matter what the circumstances, the Scripture says God is pleased with that. In that way, you're stewarding, continue it to steward grace. Jesus set an example of suffering for us to follow. And when we suffer as Christians, we identify with Him. Gladly. But 1 Peter 5 gives us this promise, if we share in His hardship, we will share in His glory. Amen. All right, so we see a lot of this throughout this, this book because during this time, during the dispersion, there was much persecution, much. And, and the Jews were, were facing a lot of difficulty. And sometimes I think that well, how can I say this and kind of be nice about it? The persecution that we face today as Christians, I mean, come on. Really, is there any comparison? Hmm? How about these that are over in Muslim stronghold countries that are losing their life for the gospel because they call themselves Christians? We're blessed to live here. 
But let's not forget we have an obligation with that blessing too. Hmm? Let's not forget those who are really, really, really suffering and persecuted for the gospel's sake. To hold them up in prayer. To lift them up. I'm not saying you don't have any persecution. I'm just saying let's keep the right perspective on it. And embrace it. Embrace it. As part of your life as a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. All right? And when it's for the sake of Christ, it's the highest calling. And lastly, I want to end here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at this. The person of Jesus. Chapter 8, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, put, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. I love this. We see just how extensive this sacrifice of Christ was. We see that just how deep, how deep this redemption went and how thorough he dealt, thoroughly he dealt with sin. That when Jesus died on that cross, he went down into hell. And it says that he, now we know that there are two groups of people in hell at this point. There are those who are in a place called Abraham's bosom or known as paradise. They weren't in the flames, but they were nearby. Remember Jesus talked about the rich young ruler and Lazarus the beggar. The, the, the rich young ruler dies and he's in the flames and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. And he called out from the flames and talked to Abraham. You remember that? All right, so there was this great chasm between them. So even though these were not suffering, yet still being able to see the suffering and the torment. But they were in this holding place waiting for their redemption, waiting for their Redeemer to come. And so one of the things that Jesus did when he went there was to lead them out. Their Redeemer had come. They were holding, as it were, promissory notes in their hands. We believe. We got, this. We got our tickets. Hallelujah. And so they were waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, this says, though, Jesus went and preached to the disobedient spirits. Interesting. I wonder what he was preaching. I wonder what he did. You dummies, you should have gotten the boat. Huh? I don't think he preached a you should have, could have, would have message. I think Jesus preached to them to give them a chance to hear the gospel and believe. Here's why he had a right to their souls. Because his sacrifice had to go all the way back to Adam's original sin. His blood eradicated all the sins of the world. So now he has a right to come and take what he purchased. They had a right to hear it. So he went and preached to them. That's why I'm saying I personally believe I mean, first of all, who's not going to answer that altar call that day? Who's not going to respond? 
You're in, you're in the hopeless place. This is the last stop, right? But Jesus showed up there, and he preached to him. I just have a feeling he emptied the entire place out. Don't you know that rich, young ruler was like, whoa! Yes! Emptied it out. But listen, hell's still there. Hell is still real, and people will still go there. This time, it's for good. This time, it's for good. So everybody has the right to hear. Everybody has the right to hear it. But how are they going to hear without a preacher? Because if they preach, then they can hear it. If they hear it, they can believe it. If they believe it, they can call on the Lord. And if they'll call on the Lord, they will be saved. Never underestimate that message coming out of your mouth and what it can do for someone. They can be saved by simply hearing it. Don't forget, the very first Gentile that got saved was Cornelius. Peter shows up at his house, and he says, and while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and they started speaking in tongues. Nobody's prayed a sinner's prayer like I was trained to do when I was growing up. You had to say this thing. You had to stand up. You had to come forward. You had to go walk through all of these process, all this process, because we love process. But this is the precedent-setting moment for how people get saved. The first Gentile convert, somebody just like us, simply heard the gospel. And in their hearts, they believed it. And God said, that's good enough for me. Here's the Holy Spirit. It is so easy for people to get saved. It is so easy. The righteous are not scarcely saved. They are easily saved if they will simply believe. Praise God. So easy. Does this encourage you tonight? Cherish without charge. Serve without sniveling. And minister without merit. Take that home with you. Practice it. Practice it amongst your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your friends. Make a difference where you go. Be the difference because that's who you are. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we bless you. We thank you for this time together in your presence, in your word, God. We thank you for your word that's living and powerful. Thank you, Lord, that we can hold on to your word. We can confess your word and see the results of your word, see the fruit of it in our own lives. Lord, your word is so powerful. It is so pertinent and relevant for us right now. If we will just be those who will believe it and confess it, God, we will see its fruit abounding in our lives. Your word is life to those who find it and health to all of their flesh. Hallelujah. So Lord, we thank you for your word, that you sent your word and you healed us and you delivered us from our destruction. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from destruction. 
who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things. This is what I'm talking about, the Word of God in our mouths. Satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, Lord, thank you. Let your Word have its work in our lives. Lord, and with us, let it start with us and our family and our children. We declare tonight that all of our children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. Thank you, Father God, that your people, Lord, are surrounded by the shield of favor. Your favor surrounds them as with the shield because, Lord, you bless the righteous. Thank you, Lord. I declare over your people that no evil shall befall them and no plague shall come near their dwelling. You give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways, and no weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. I thank you, Father God, that where they go, they find the favor of God. They have favor with God and they have favor with man. And Lord, I thank you that you put a new song in their mouth, Lord, that tonight they will both lie down. When they go home, they will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. And when they rise in the morning, may they rise with a song in their hearts, praise from their lips, because that's the sacrifice that is pleasing to you a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com. 